Good evening. It's me, Kingman. I'm set up in my basement about to record another episode of Death Mysteries. And all I can think about is, why is Oregon ranked number three for missing people in the entire nation? actually have four missing people to talk about tonight, but first I want to talk about missing people in general. I had absolutely no idea how many people went missing in the United States every year. I've heard the figure 600,000 a couple of times, and the number of cases is actually around 600,000 consistently. People are found, people are you know, never found, and we add new names to the list all the time, and then we take names off after they're found, usually safe, sometimes deceased. Um, it's, it's actually fascinating. The rate at which people go missing in the United States varies widely depending on the geographic region that you're in. But the Pacific Northwest is notable in that Oregon is number three, And Washington State is number five for the amount of people who go missing per 100,000 residents. Number one is Alaska, and that's really no surprise. So I'm just going to compare Alaska, which has the highest rate of missing people, to the state that has the lowest rate of missing people, which is actually Massachusetts. And these numbers can be kind of misleading because we're not talking about total number of missing people. That title, actually, that award goes to California. But we're talking about the rate of disappearances. And Alaska has about 42 people per 100,000 residents that disappear every year. And Massachusetts has about two people per 100,000 residents that disappear every year. But what I really want to talk about today is my home state, Oregon. And we have about 10.4 people per 100,000 that go missing every single year and are never found. That's about 430 to 450 people every year that vanish in a state of 4.3 million people. 
we have vast forest. We have a couple of pretty major metropolitan areas. You know, we have uh, Portland and Eugene. And where I live is sort of, you know, it's in the south. And Medford, I wouldn't call it metropolitan, but I would definitely say it's, um, it's a city of growing concern, as they used to uh, as they used to characterize it back in the day, and it still is. And we have our fair share of homeless people and transients, and people do go missing here. And actually, quite a few people go missing here. And little old Grants Pass, which I actually live closer to, has only about 35,000 residents. And people go missing there a lot more than you think they would. And we're going to talk about some of those people today. Well, pardon me, tonight, I don't record this podcast during the day, and I don't recommend that you listen to it during the day. Please listen at night, close your eyes, and get scared. So the more I think about people vanishing into thin air, I start to wonder, is it going to happen to me? Is it going to happen to somebody I know? I go out in the woods a lot, and for this podcast and uh, for my YouTube channel, I film places that are very secluded, very remote, and I film places where people have vanished. I investigate the cases that we work on. We actually drive out to the last known location, a lot of times where a car was found, where they were last seen, usually very remote, out in the woods. And, you know, if somebody disappeared there once or twice, maybe it'll happen again. Anyway, I'm pretty careful, but this whole business of people disappearing without a trace is actually really spooky. And I know that there are a lot of podcasts that talk about this, but I want to focus on Southern Oregon. I want to focus on a couple of the cases from around here. Um, I was actually thinking about why people go missing in Alaska. I mean, come on, it's Alaska. And I was also thinking about why people go missing in Arizona. And Arizona, I know, is a hub for human trafficking. A lot of people go in and out of there, a lot of immigrants. Uh, there's a lot of crime. Um, there's a lot of crime everywhere. I mean, come on. The world is full of crime. But that's probably why people go missing in Alaska. And Florida is actually number two for the total number of missing people. I mean, it's Florida. They're probably all getting eaten by gators. So, or, you know, something else meth-fueled. I don't know. Anyway, we won't malign Florida. It's a beautiful state. Lots of oranges. About half the people that go missing in Oregon are last seen somewhere in the woods. And a lot of these missing people are children, but also adults. And we know that children are much more aggressively searched for. And law enforcement puts more energy into missing children, understandably, because adults can go missing on their own. Children generally do not. Um, I was actually looking at a couple of cases out from Crater Lake where um, some eight-year-olds disappeared uh, a few years apart from each other, just kind of vanished. Uh, one out near Klamath Lake and another one uh, near Crater Lake itself, actually, on the shore. I'm not really going to talk about those today, though. I'm going to talk about some adults who went missing. But children, uh, they do go missing quite frequently, and law enforcement does spend a lot more time looking for them. But ultimately, the trails go cold all too often, and law enforcement finds themselves limited in resources. In fact, every case I look at, law enforcement searches a little bit, sometimes a lot, but they always call it off, citing limited resources. 
So what happens if you go missing? First off, somebody actually has to report you missing. And does this always happen? Probably not. What about transients? What about people that have you know, disowned their families or have gotten into drugs or have you know, maybe moved across the country or didn't have a good relationship with their family to begin with? What about people who are orphans? There's all kinds of situations where there might not be anybody looking for you. What if you were the last one alive in your family and there's nobody there to report you missing? Maybe you're kind of a recluse. Maybe the people at your job think you just quit and walked away and your landlord throws your stuff out. Does this happen? I think so. So if you go missing and you're lucky enough to have a family that loves you and friends that love you and they report you missing, what happens? Do the police start looking for you? The answer is sometimes. And it really depends on your local police, their amount of resources, how much money they have, how many missing persons cases they are already looking into. Uh, Generally, searches cost money, a lot of money. And even the most aggressive searches usually only last for days, perhaps weeks if you're very lucky. And it's really up to your family to push law enforcement to organize search and rescue teams to actually find ways to get the community involved and get the community looking for you. Missing posters are not created by the police. They are created by your family. In a couple of cases that we have around here from just the last couple of months, um, we actually have found out from the family of uh, Fauna Frey that they aren't even going to fingerprint her car, which was found in very mysterious circumstances. Uh, Josephine County Sheriff's Office simply says they don't have the resources. The Oregon State Police simply says they do not have the resources to devote to processing the car. It's up to the family to actually pay to have the car processed and probably by a private investigator or somebody that they hire because the police department just isn't going to do it. So if you think it's going to be CSI and they're going to be looking for you and, you know, the Greggs from... You know, criminal minds are going to fly out in their Concord jet and come look for you. You are mistaken. Suppose that your family has money and has resources and time to dedicate to looking for you and they're worried about you. They are often stonewalled without the ability to subpoena phone records. Uh, they can't get surveillance footage. They can't get uh, court orders. Uh, they can't get bank records. They usually can't even get... Uh, well, pretty much cooperation from law enforcement. Uh, it's really, really difficult for your family to, to, to mount a search for your whereabouts. The sad truth is, and the reality is, that even if your family looks for you, they can't dedicate their entire life to looking for you for the rest of their lives. Even though there's a case we're going to talk about later where a gentleman's brother still goes out and looks for him 20 years later in the place where he disappeared. There are, you know, there's limited resources, limited time, and a lot of times you're kind of, I wouldn't say written off, but you are definitely filed away in a cold case if you go missing, and you become a poster that people see. If you're lucky, your case will be featured on a law enforcement website like your local sheriff's department, maybe even in a database like the Charlie Project, and the Charlie Project is a great resource. If you are wondering about people missing in your area, uh, if you have a loved one or a friend, uh, well, not that friends aren't loved ones, 
if you know somebody who's missing and they're not on the Charlie Project, get on it and get something reported on that website. It's nationwide. The first person missing in my area that I want to talk about tonight is actually Sherry Wellwood. She was about 46 or 48, depending on which news story you read when she disappeared. And she's been gone since December 18th, 2019. Her car was found on BLM roads out in rural Josephine County on December 19th. It was actually parked on a, uh, I'm gonna have to actually go out there and find it, but it was parked on a BLM road, a dirt road that doesn't have a name, it has a number, that runs between Spencer Creek Road and Spencer Flat Road. Uh, there is no known reason that Sherry Wellwood traveled to the Grants Pass area from Portland. Uh, we know that she drove down here after being released from a mental health hold at a hospital. And she's five foot three, and has brown hair, weighs about 190 pounds. And um, her car was actually found stuck in the snow. There was an extensive search out there, and there's no sign of her. Vanished. Could mental health have something to do with this case? Maybe. Could something else have happened? Maybe. We know that things are not always as they seem. second missing person I want to talk about tonight is Wilson Wayne Wallstrom, and he's been missing since October 27th of 2007. He was 47 years old when he went missing, and he'd be 60 years old today. There's a little bit more information about Wilson Wayne Wallstrom than we have on Sherry Wellwood. Uh, he was about 5'7 and 145 pounds. He was wearing a red and gray sweatshirt that said Long Beach on it. And he had 501 blue jeans on. So pretty nondescript outfit. Uh, he always wore his brown hair in a ponytail. He had brown eyes and he wore glasses all the time. He is a white male and he walks very slowly. He has chronic pain and uses pain meds, so it's unlikely that he would have gone far without them. Uh, and he had a mustache at the time of his disappearance, and I think he always wore a mustache. So the, dis the details of his disappearance are as follows. Wilson went out to the BLM land about three miles off of Briggs Valley Road in a spot that he often went to to practice target shooting and he took his dog Brutus with him and Brutus was nothing to be trifled with. He was a mastiff, um, mastiff mix and he was at least 80 pounds uh, and Wilson's rifle was with him. He basically parked his red Isuzu Rodeo, can't say that. I noticed um, lots of Isuzu Rodeos here in Oregon, more than I ever saw in California. Anyway, um, so he was known to frequent this spot. I am going to drive out there and check it out, probably on my next day off when I'm not recording uh, in a couple days, and I will be filming that, uh, along with the area where Sherry Wellwood disappeared. And we're just going to check it out. Anyway, back to our story. We know that his Isuzu Rodeo was parked out there on the dirt road. 
he took his keys, locked the car, and then he put them on the front passenger tire up high. And I've done this before. I've stashed my keys next to my truck when I'm way out in the woods just in case I lose them and I don't want to have to backtrack and try to find them if I've been walking around for miles. And, you know, it's like you don't want to carry anything you don't have to carry. We do know he had his rifle with him and he was going shooting there. Now, I'm not sure how far he would have walked after parking his car. And like I said, I will be checking this out in a couple of days and there will be a video up on the Death Mysteries uh, YouTube page. Anyway, so a search revealed there was no clue as to what happened to Wilson Wayne Wallstrom. His dog Brutus had also disappeared at the same time. And I see a lot of reports where people go missing with their dog and their dog usually shows up. Sometimes their dog is dead. Sometimes their dog shows up like we had the Cowden's dog, uh, Droopy, that showed up scratching at the Copper General store, scratching at the door, uh, you know, the next day. And I looked into it and there are a lot of cases of people that go missing with their dogs and their dogs usually show up because for whatever reason, killers, aliens, Bigfoot doesn't kill or kidnap the the dog it lets the dog go i mean i don't know it kind of weird stuff but anyway so they didn't find anything um i have some questions about the case you know were his family and friends interviewed i have not seen any records of that i do know that um after he was reported missing his car was found just a couple days later and a lot of this information I got from the Charlie Project, and that is a great website for missing people. I kind of have a theory that maybe Wilson's dog Brutus got into some trouble. There are a lot of mine shafts out there. Um, could he have fallen into something and then Wilson tried to rescue him and him being disabled and walking slowly and uh, having some physical mobility issues, maybe he got into trouble too. But like I said, there was an extensive search, as extensive as most of these are. I think it lasted for a few days to a couple weeks max. And then it kind of faded out. Um, so is he still out there? Did somebody take him, kill him for his gun? Um, it just, it seems very unlikely that it was robbery because his car was still parked there. Keys were on it. I don't know what other physical possessions were left with the car, but it sounds like the only things missing were his dog, his rifle, and Wilson himself. Um, well, I said there was more information about the case, but there really isn't that much information out there. Um, I, I can't emphasize this enough. When people go missing, there's very little beyond a missing person's poster with last known whereabouts, their height, weight, picture, that kind of stuff. And if you're lucky, a little profile about what happened on the Charlie Project or there's a couple of other missing.org comes to mind a couple of other websites but there's not a lot of information people disappear and the rest of the world moves on spooky The third missing person we're going to talk about tonight is Robert Michael Bobo, and this is kind of a famous case around here. It's been featured in the news a couple of times, and uh, 
Bobo, as he was known, went missing on October 3rd, 1998. So we literally just had the 22nd anniversary of him disappearing a couple of days ago. And he was last seen near Prospect, Oregon, which is up in the mountains. Again, he was camping uh, out in the middle of the wilderness and he did not have a car at the time he disappeared. He was kind of living at the campground. Bobo was 36 when he went missing and he would be 58 years old today. He was five foot seven, 145 pounds. He had a beard, kind of bushy hair. He was a white male. Um, he was wearing a flannel shirt and blue jeans, just like a lumberjack. He had blonde hair, blue eyes, and he had Bob tattooed on his right bicep. And the area where he went missing, like I said, it was near Prospect. More specifically, it was near Union Creek in the Rogue River National Forest. There is a campground up there called the Woodruff Meadows. And I have been to the Union Creek area many times. I go up there and I go mushroom hunting. I go up there every year, multiple times a year, and I'm very familiar with the Woodruff Meadows area. I'm very familiar with the entire national forest up there. I have hiked around the Union Creek area with friends, by myself, you name it. I've spent a lot of time up there. It's really thick. You can get turned around pretty easily, but it sounds like Bobo was just as familiar with the area as I am. In fact, he was living up there, so it's highly unlikely that he got lost up there. Something else probably happened. Uh, Bobo was working as a logger, and what a great place to live if you're working as a logger. You know, you're actually really close to your work if you're camping up there. Um, he had no car. So the last time he was seen, a female friend of his dropped him off at his campsite. This was on the evening of October 2nd, 1998. And it's said that a couple of deer hunters who were up there getting ready for the opening day of hunting season, rifle season for deer here in Oregon, was gonna be October 3rd. Coincidentally, our hunting season for rifle just opened a few days ago. I think it's just about the same day every single year. People are really excited, you know? Gotta get a deer, gotta put it in your freezer. Anyway, a uh, couple of hunters saw him when they arrived at the campground about 9 p.m. And one of his friends was supposed to meet him that next morning so that they could go deer hunting. That morning on October 3rd, his friend found Bobo's camp just as it was left by Bobo, but no Bobo. Does that make sense? So all of his clothes were there. His two rifles were there. I mean, no man leaves his campsite with his two rifles there unless he's gonna come right back. So his rifles were there, his clothing was there. And more importantly, he had no money, but there was no sign of a crime. Uh, actually, probably the most important aspect of this was Bobo was known to wear a baseball cap that he never went anywhere without. In fact, it was his lucky baseball cap, and that was there at his campsite. So he definitely wasn't planning on being gone long. It's like he, poof, vanished into thin air. Um, his brother, Remember I mentioned earlier, a guy goes out, looks for his brother every year. His brother still goes up to the Union Creek area every year. Actually, I heard, I heard from somebody that he goes up there every month or two and spends the day walking in the woods, hoping to find some sign of his brother 22 years later. 
That's that's heartbreaking. Um, I remember when I said earlier that unless your friends and family organize search efforts, you're going to fade into oblivion and nobody will remember you and the police will only look for you for a few days to a few weeks if you're lucky. That's kind of like Bobo's case. Um, I, I've, I've seen it in the media a few times. You know, every, every once in a while, it's a spooky case. It pops up and then just sort of fades out after a little brief mention in the news. Well, Bobo's brother has not forgotten, and he is still looking. And um, I bet he's going up there any day now to go look again to see if he can find remains or find something that will give him some closure. The last missing person case I am going to wrap this episode up with today is a man named Dwayne Hodge, and he spelled his name D-W-A-I-N, kind of like uh, Dwayne Lee Little, the same spelling, um, and he was the main suspect from our Cowden family disappearance episode. Dwayne Hodge's middle name was Lee also. Coincidence. Anyway, um, Dwayne Hodge was last seen on July 10th of 2014 and he was up in Trail, Oregon, which is near Prospect and kind of in the same vicinity. I mean, not too far from where Robert Michael Bobo went missing. Uh, he was 53 when he went missing. He'd be 59 today. He stands five foot nine, about 180 pounds. And he was wearing a Budweiser t-shirt, Budweiser hat and cut off jean shorts when he disappeared. So the story goes that Dwayne Lee Hodge was camping with his family um, up near Trail, and he said he was gonna go for a walk, and he never came back. Now, I did a lot of digging in this case, and there's a lot of news articles from when he first went missing, and then again, of course, they say, uh, oh, he's still missing three years later. So you get these little news blurbs in the local press uh, that pop up from time to time. It, there's not a lot of information. The one weird aspect to this case is that uh, the day after Dwayne Lee Hodge disappeared, someone matching his description showed up a few miles away on Highway 227 and rang somebody's doorbell at 3 a.m., said he needed a ride, and the guy who who answered the door actually went to go get his keys and give this gentleman a ride to Grant's Pass. And when he came back, the guy was gone. Was it Dwayne Lee Hodge? I don't think we'll ever really know the answer to that question, but I have a better question. If somebody answers the door at 3 a.m., well, say I answered the door at 3 a.m., say you answered the door at 3 a.m. and somebody's asking for a ride and you live out in the middle of the woods, are you gonna go get your keys and give that person a ride at 3 a.m.? The whole thing sounds kind of weird. I know for me, I am not answering my door. I'm definitely, well, I probably would answer my door. What am I saying? I'd answer my door, but I'd be prepared. And I definitely wouldn't be giving somebody a ride somewhere. I mean, he's asking for a ride. It's like 45 minutes away. I, I'm not grabbing my keys unless I know that person and I've got good reason to be giving them a ride somewhere. I'm definitely not giving a stranger a ride at 3 a.m to a city 45 minutes away. It's just, it's a weird story. Anyway, that's the last possible sighting of Dwayne Lee Hodge. 
We don't know what happened to him. He vanished. Okay, so what did we learn tonight? If you go missing, it's up to your friends and your family to organize an effort to find you and don't expect people to look for you forever. If you, if you disappear, chances are good. Nobody's gonna come looking for you for long. Definitely not the cops. They're on to the next thing, the next case, the next DUI, the next domestic dispute. You know, crime just keeps coming and they have limited resources. Uh, if you have any information regarding Dwayne Lee Hodge or Robert Michael Bobo, um, you can call the Jackson County Sheriff's Office at 541-774-8333. And if you have any information about Wilson Wayne Wallstrom or Sherry Wellwood, you can call the Grants Pass Public Safety Department at 541-450-6260. You know, the more I research all of these cases, the more I realize that it's very daunting if you go missing and I hope that nobody I know ever disappears and I, I just this is a problem that is not being tackled in the United States there are hundreds of thousands of missing people many thousands go missing every year and they're never seen again some of them are victims of human trafficking some of them are murder victims um, some of them literally vanish into thin air, like our four cases today. There's no real good case that any of them are murder victims, maybe suicides. We don't really know. Um, of course there are a lot of suicides, but generally suicides are found, but not always. Uh, the fact of the matter remains that a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people go missing. And I'm going to continue looking into these cases because as I said earlier, Oregon, being a small state of four and a half million people, has the third highest rate of missing people in the entire United States.